Chronicles, Second Chronicles tonight, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 18. <clears throat> Second Chronicles 18, we've been talking about different individuals that don't get a lot of attention in the Bible, and we're looking at another uh, man tonight specifically, and one of my favorite people in the Bible, not a whole lot about him, but he has enough in there for us to uh, understand him and to appreciate him. And so uh, his name is Micaiah, M-I-C-A-I-A-H. And Second Chronicles 18 matches <clears throat> First Kings 22. First Kings 22 is a parallel passage to this. And Second Chronicles 18, verse 1, it says, Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and joined affinity with Ahab. After certain years, he went down to Ahab to Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance, and for the people that he had with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab, king of Israel, said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Therefore the king of Israel gathered together the prophets four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the God will deliver it into the king's hand. <clears throat> but Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides, that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he never prophesied good unto me, but always evil, the same as Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshua said, Let not the king say so. And the king of Israel called for one of his officers and said, Fetch quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, sat either of them on his throne, clothed in their robes, and they sat in the void place at the entering in of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, had made him horns of iron, and said, Thus saith the Lord, With these thou shalt push Syria until they be consumed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead, prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one assent. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs, and speak thou good. Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. <clears throat> Let's pray, and then we'll go on tonight. Lord, we do thank you for Micaiah and for uh, people like him in, in the Word of God. Thank you for this story, and help us to uh, be reminded of some things tonight and see some details that would be uh, an encouragement and a reminder to us. Help us to realize uh, our compromises and our uh, changes uh, of where we ought to be and help us to see that in our own lives through these people we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here a man named Micaiah living in a time where things are pretty interesting. The nation of Israel had been split into two. There's the kingdom of Judah in the southern and the northern kingdom, the kingdom called Israel. Israel was really not the good nation. Judah was and at this particular time doing all right. Jehoshaphat was a good man and I'll show you that in a minute. And, but the northern kingdom, the, the people called Israel, the ten tribes that split off, their, their capital city was Samaria. And it didn't take long before they ended up with a man named Ahab as their king. And he had a wife named Jezebel. And uh, most people don't name anything but maybe their dog, Ahab or Jezebel nowadays. And we'll, we, you'll understand if you read about them. <clears throat> but um, uh, we, we, we pick up with this story by looking at some things. First of all, let's look at Ahab. This guy was quite a character. He was the son of Omri, and he was a Baal worshiper. Go with me to Kings, and 1 Kings is the parallel passage to a lot of this. So 1 Kings chapter 16, 1 Kings chapter 16, and we'll start in verse uh, 20, 29. 1 Kings 16 and verse 29. In the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, son of Omri, to reign over Israel. By the way, Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Asa was a good king until his later years when he rebelled and his heart got hard and he wouldn't seek the Lord but sought to the physicians instead. 
Anyway, Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and 2 years. Verse 30, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. It came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that had took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a grove. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. Ahab was unsaved. Ahab's the son of an, a wicked man, Omri. Ahab was a worshiper of Baal and even married a daughter of Ethbaal, uh, Jezebel. Verse 31, he married her. I don't think you could pick a worse person to be married to than Jezebel. She was of a Phoenician king, Ethbaal, and she even got Ahab to be more worse than he already was. She introduced pagan worship, pagan Baal worship to Ahab. And so Ahab here uh, pictures the pagan influence in what's supposed to be Christendom. What should have been God's people, Israel, have gotten so far into sin and depravity that now they're worshiping Baal and you know if you know anything about the story of Ahab he's the one that wanted Naboth's vineyard and he wasn't man enough to just take it Naboth and, and, and kill him and take the vineyard but a or excuse me Ahab's wife Jezebel she was man enough and so she went ahead and had Naboth killed and set up a kangaroo court for him to be tried and, and then executed and uh, and then Ahab and Jezebel stole the vineyard. And Elijah came to Ahab and told him, you're going to die for that. In fact, the, the, the dogs are going to lick your blood right here in Naboth's vineyard one day. And, and that's going to happen. And it did happen. That's who Ahab was. And, of course, Jezebel, she's the one that, uh, that killed a lot of the prophets. And the preacher was preaching the other night a couple weeks ago about how that uh, Elisha was afraid because uh, Jezebel, you know, he, he had killed 450 prophets of Baal, remember? But then he was scared of Jezebel. Uh, because she was, she said, I'm going to kill that man. We need to understand that uh, this woman Jezebel was wicked. Ahab, of course, being her, her, little, her little king puppet. But it's a picture of paganism. And you know, paganism is entering into Christianity. I mentioned it this morning. We need to stop thinking like, that. oh, the devil would never go that far. Are you kidding? The devil is just an absolute deceiver and a liar. And the devil will transform himself into an angel of light. The, je- the devil will look as Christian as you want someone to look. The devil will do that. Don't be fooled. The Bible warns us about another Jesus and another gospel. Just because it says Jesus doesn't mean it's Christian. Don't fall for that. Don't get into that. Paganism is entering into our religion. Paganism is entering into churches. <clears throat> I One day I'm going to talk about it more, but there is a new... Uh, episode thing about Jesus called the chosen but when you get into the chosen you'll find out that Roman Catholicism and Mormonism is all over it it is owned mostly by the Mormons and one day we'll talk about that in more detail but I'm going to tell you right now just because it looks like Jesus and just because it's warm and fuzzy it's not biblical and you need to watch out for it if it replaces the Bible it's wrong okay understand that if it replaces the Bible, it's wrong. And I'm not just going to preach against the New International Version. I'm going to preach against any version that isn't in the Word of God. Understand, that's important to know. The paganism has entered into Christianity. And the Bible tells us that's going to happen in the last days. In Revelation chapter 2, it talks about Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. In Revelation chapter 2, and of course Jezebel's dead by Revelation. But Revelation chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Understand that the spirit of Jezebel is still alive today. And Jezebel, the spirit of Jezebel, wants Christians to go into paganism and worship false religion that sounds very much like christianity but it is not look at revelation chapter 17 verse 1 revelation 17 verse 1 says and there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying unto me come hither and i will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have made drink drunk with wine of her fornication so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and i saw a woman 
sit upon the scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet in color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, and having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. The Bible's warning us against the spirit of Jezebel and against the compromise with such a, a, a religion. Understand that this is something that's called ecumenical. Ecumenicism and ecumenical is all churches united. Despite the doctrinal differences, trying to unite all churches together, we worship the same Jesus. No, we don't. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, coexist? What is that about? That's about, this, that's about ecumenicism. And let me tell you, just about every church in Custer is for ecumenicism. They're for it. All churches unite, despite the fact that we don't even teach the same gospel, the same salvation, the same way to heaven. It's this all-embracing, and it's very wrong. And King Ahab and Jezebel, they represent that blending of paganism with Christianity. Christianity has been and is being compromised by it. But then you have Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was a good man. He was a good man. But we'll see that he got himself in affinity with Ahab. Look at Second Chronicles chapter number 17. We were in chapter 18 a minute ago. But go to Second Chronicles chapter 17. Second Chronicles 17 it says in verse 1, And Jehoshaphat his son, that would be Asa's son, who was a good king until his heart got hard and he died a fool. And Jehoshaphat his son reigned in his stead and strengthened himself against Israel, which would have been the northern kingdom. Now, notice this same man is strengthening himself against Israel. So how in chapter 18 did he decide to be an affinity with Israel? That's an interesting question. And he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the first ways of his father David and sought not unto Balaam or Baal. This is a man who's opposite of everything Ahab was, but sought to the Lord God of his father and walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. And all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and groves out of Judah. This is what Jehoshaphat did. This is how he started. This guy was, he was on track. And God blessed him and appreciated him for it. He was saved. He walked with God. Look at verse 7. Also in the third year of his reign, he sent to his princes, even to Ben-Hale and to Obadiah and to Zechariah and to Nethaniel and to Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them, he sent Levites, even the Shemaiah and Nethaniah and Zabadiah and Asahel and Shemarath and Johanathan and Adonijah and Tobijah and Tobadiah and Tobadijah and Levites and with them Elishama and Jehoram priests. And they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Jehoshaphat set up a traveling Bible college and just sent them out to teach the people the word of God and just teach them and to let them know what God's word. The man was a good man and he believed in Bible teaching. I mean, the guy was doing good stuff. He was straightening Judah out, and God was blessing him. It says in verse 12, Jehoshaphat waxed great exceedingly. He had built Judah castles and cities of store, and he had much business in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. I mean, this, this place was just humming with blessing. What in the world then, in chapter 18, verse 1, now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. Now that's the king of Israel, who in chapter 17 he was against. What's going on here? Well, let's stop here for a minute and explain to you that just like Ahab would represent paganism, Jehoshaphat represents the new evangelicalism, the idea of, of a compromise. New evangelicalism is what most of your Christians are today, even in our local area. They're new evangelical. 
First of all, the King James Bible is not the word of God. Ask them which Bible is the word of God. Just ask them. They'll tell you some version, but they'll not be able to tell you exactly for sure. Listen, thus saith the Lord, and I can hold in one hand the word of God, the inspired and preserved word of God. I know that this is God's word. I realize that God's word might be in some of these other versions, but I don't know what else is in there. I do know that there's error in there. What happens with new evangelicalism is that it, it declares the principles of Scripture, but it declines to practice it in, in everyday life. There is no separation. There is no living a separated life. There is no, it's almost as if nothing is really bad unless it's just really, really bad. But if it sounds religious, it's probably good. And if it's got Jesus slapped on it, oh, it's duh, it's good. And it dwells on the love of God, but it denounces the language of God. In other words, it dwells on the love attribute of God, but it doesn't ever talk about the fact that God is holy and that he is just and he is the judge as well. And so New Evangelicalism rarely will preach against sin. It just always talks about the grace of God and the love of God. And listen, there's room for that. But just like this morning, we can't just talk about mercy, 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 mercy. That's a lie when we ignore truth. Truth has to be the other side of the equation. And without truth, there really is no mercy. And it, it, it also demands toleration of false teaching and false teachers. Listen, we can love the sinner, but we still got to hate the sin. We can be sympathetic with people who are blind and are confused and maybe don't know better. And I am not telling you that just because someone has an NIV Bible that we should treat them like dirt. That's not what I'm saying. Or just because someone happens to like maybe a, a chosen video or something like that, that they're evil. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we can't allow and we can't tolerate and allow people to influence what we know is right and godly. Toleration of false teaching and false teachers. That's what they do, but they despise the declaration of biblical truth as absolutes. Just like evolutionists say, there are no absolutes. And Kevin Hovind will say, are you absolutely sure? So it is with God's word. There's no absolutes. It's all about how you feel. And most Bible studies are like, well, that, this is how it, I feel. This is how it applies. And listen, there's nothing wrong with hearing what someone's getting out of the scripture. But the scripture has to be the common denominator and the common foundation. And so there, be aware, this is happening everywhere. It truly is happening everywhere, and I do mean everywhere. And King Jehoshaphat represents this group of people today, and we'll talk more about him in a little bit. Then there's this other character, Zedekiah. Zedekiah is that guy in chapter 18 of Second Chronicles who is the false prophet. Now, he's the, he would represent the pop, popular leader of today, the popular religious leader. Remember what he did here in verse 10. Zedekiah, the son of Cheninath, had made him horns of iron. So he, he took time to make these horns out of iron. I mean, that takes time. He made these horns of iron, and then he brought them to the meeting. And him and the other 400 prophets are there, you know. And he says, these horns of iron represent how you're going to take the people of Syria, and you're going to just run them right out of town. And they're, they're getting all excited about it, you know. And it's the sensational preacher, the showman. Verse 12, it says, And the messenger that went to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets declare good. I don't know who the messenger was, what his name was, but let's just say it was Barney Fife. And Barney comes and he finds Micaiah, and he says, Listen, I mean, 400 guys have already given a real positive message. Micaiah, just, just give a positive message, you know? I mean, everybody's excited about what the message was. Now, Verse 13, I like what Micaiah says to the messenger. As the Lord liveth, even what my God saith, that will I speak. And when he was come to the king, the king said unto him, Micaiah, that would be Ahab. Ahab said, Micaiah, shall we go up to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And Micaiah says, go ye up and prosper, and they shall be delivered unto your hand. So to the shock of everybody in the room, Micaiah says, yeah, sure, go ahead. Go up and prosper. They're going to be delivered in your hand. And I can just hear the sarcasm in his voice. And, and as soon as he said it, the king Ahab, verse 15 says, 
How many times shall I adjure thee that thou sayest nothing but the truth to me in the name of the Lord? Don't lie to me. I just told you. Look, you didn't say that to the other 400 guys. Why are you saying it to me? Because I know those 400 are lying. And Jehoshaphat knew it too. That's why he said, could we have one more? I know those guys are lying. They're telling me what I want to hear. And by the way, when, when King Ahab said back there in verse number seven, there is one man, I hate him. When he said that, <laughs> you know why he said that? He never tells me what I want to hear. Hey, there's a reason for that, Ahab. There's a reason why he never is positive when it comes to you. And guess what? It's because you is wrong. That's why. You're just wrong. That's all. It's not because Micaiah has this personal thing against you. It's because truth is truth and you're always on the wrong side of it. Verse 16, then he said, I did see all. So Micaiah says, all right, I'll tell you the truth. Here it is. I did see all Israel scattered upon the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, they, these have no master. Let them return, therefore, every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said, Ahab turns to Jehoshaphat. See? See? Told you. Did not I tell thee that he would not prophesy good unto me but evil? I told you. That's why I don't like him. It's never, never call him. Verse 18, again he said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. Micaiah continues, I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. And here's what I think about that. I think on the right side of God were all of his angels. And on his left was probably all of Satan's devils. Remember Job and the story of Job? And the Lord said, Who shall entice Ahab, king of Israel, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? All right, who's going to fool Ahab into going to Ramoth Gilead and dying? And one spake after this manner, another spake after that manner, then came out of a spirit, and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, Thou shalt entice him, and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against I love Micaiah. Because you stop right there and you realize there's 400 pairs of eyes looking at him right now. 400 men. Now you think about it. Honestly. If 400 people were staring at you and you said a lying spirit got permission from God to go into all these 400 and tell you a lie. Micaiah had something that most people don't have today and that's a backbone. A spiritual backbone. So verse 22, now therefore behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of these thy prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil against thee. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek. You know, there's only a few times in the Bible you'll read that. Remember who else got smote on the cheek? Jesus. They punched him. And it almost, the, almost exactly like what they said, tell us who punched you. Prophesy, tell us. And then when Paul was standing before uh, the people that were mad at him and he said something and the chief priest was insulted and somebody went up and punched Paul in the face. It's interesting how the Christians are never punching the bad guys in the face in the Bible. But the Bible does show that sometimes God's man gets punched in the face. Micaiah didn't punch back. Instead, what happened here is Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek and said, Which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? Oh, so you're telling us that a spirit from the Lord, an evil lying spirit, is what made us all just lie to Ahab just now? Bam! All right. So which way did the Spirit say to do that right there? Mm Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see on that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. With a bloody lip, Micaiah looked at that mocker and said, You'll hear the answer to that question one day when you're inside your bedroom, in the closet of your bedroom, and judgment comes. By the way, Ahab did die. Shortly after this, Ahab died. 
So what do you think Jezebel probably did to those 400 guys that told her husband to go, go ahead? What do you think she probably did? I mean, pro- false prophets, that was a big, that was a big illegal no-no. And they went out on a limb and told Ahab, go ahead, made iron horns. And I don't know exactly how Zedidiah got it, but Micaiah said, you'll get the answer to that question when you're hiding with your knees knocking inside the closet of your bedroom, inside the inner chamber. So we have Ahab, the pagan. We have Jehoshaphat, the compromising new evangelical. And you've got Zedekiah, the popular religious leader, telling people what they want to hear. And then, as you've already been introduced, you've got this man, Micaiah. And notice God's man. Let's just call him the Bible-believing Baptist. I'm not saying every Baptist is Bible-believing, but he should be. And so Micaiah, the Bible-believer, was hated by the pagan. It says right there in verse 7, I hate him. He never tells me what I want to hear. I hate him. And he is ignored by the new evangelical crowd. You know what? The dumb thing is that Jehoshaphat went ahead into this battle, and he almost it almost cost him his life. He almost died because of it. Jehoshaphat probably looked at Micaiah and thought to himself, mm, I think I know who's right here. He was a little nervous in this deal. Let's read the rest of the story. It says here in verse 24, Behold, thou shalt see, verse 25, the king of Israel, Ahab, says, Take ye Micaiah, carry him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. That gives me the impression that Micaiah was already incarcerated before this story even starts. They knew where to find him, and he says, take him back to the governor. So, so I think King Ahab kept him under lock all the time. Verse 26, and say, thus saith the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction until I return in peace. By the way, the first Baptist you read about in the Bible, you know where he ended up? Prison. You know why? He told the king that he was an adulterer and he was wrong. Micaiah gets taken back to prison. Now, before he leaves, verse 27, Micaiah said, by the way, notice what Ahab says. You feed him with bread of affliction and with water of affliction and you just keep him in prison until I return. And Micaiah says in verse 27, uh, uh, (laughs) if thou certainly return in peace, then hath not the Lord spoken by me. (laughs) If you come back, then, then... then you might as well kill me because I'm a false prophet. And then he said to everybody in the room, hearken, you people, listen up. Pay attention, hearken, all you people. That's the last thing you ever hear of Micaiah. Last time you ever hear from him. So he was hated and he was ignored. But you know what he did that's awesome? He preached the truth anyway. It reminds me in first. Uh, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter number three. Second Timothy chapter number three. You got to preach the truth. Why? Because if you love, you'll preach the truth. If you never offend someone, it's because you're lying. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. I know it was in here this morning. There it is. Second Timothy chapter number three and verse twelve. Yea, and it starts out verse one. In the last days, perilous times shall come. Verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Evil men and seducers shall shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Stop pretending. The world isn't getting better. We're not seeing revival. We're We're seeing larger numbers, but it's not anything godly. It's just larger numbers. Be careful of that. Evil men and seducers wax worse. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Narrow is the way and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Understand that hasn't changed. And then verse 14 says, and even though that's all going to happen, continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the what? Holy Scriptures. What are you supposed to continue in in these last days? The Bible, the Word of God. 
And it says the word of God, which are able to make thee wise into salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I know everybody's got a new idea of how they're going to reach the world. But I'm telling you, the way is still the Bible. It is still the word of God. It is still the preaching and teaching and proclaiming of the word of God. And not a watered down word of God either. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You can trust it. You can lean on it. You can, you can hang on to it for dear life. And then chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That's what you got to keep doing. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, tickling the ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And that's what's going on today. People want to hear a fable about God rather than what the actual word of God says. Not a not an actual word of God, but a, a fable, a made-up story, an imagination that someone's come up with. Preach the truth anyway. That's what the Bible said to do. Just preach the truth. There's enough of it for me to do the rest of my life, let alone try to chase down rabbit trails of imagination. No, we just need to tell people what does the word of God say. That's the foundation and that's the truth. And the church is supposed to be the pillar and ground of the truth. And here this Micaiah just did that. He just preached the word. That's what he did. Nobody appreciated it. Even Jehoshaphat, who probably quietly noticed, didn't stand up and applaud him, didn't defend him, just watched him as they hauled him away. And everybody else just, there goes the nut. There goes the crazy Baptist. (laughs) Saw this quote this week. James Freeman Clark said, a politician thinks of the next election. A statesman thinks of the next generation." If you're preaching the truth and you're standing for truth, it'll be appreciated 100 years from now. But if you are a politician, you'll be popular now, but not 100 years from now. Because by then everyone will start to figure out what it is you actually did. We got sold down the river a long time ago with our preachers and our politicians. And we've got to preach the truth even though right now it's not popular. You know what I don't like about Christian movies? And I'm talking about all Christian movies. I'm talking about even like Facing the Giants and Courageous and and all these. You know what I don't like? It always ends with a wonderful reward for doing right. You know why I don't like that? Because in this life, that's not a guarantee. You know how Micaiah ends in this life? Bye, guys. I guess I'm going to prison. If I'm wrong, you'll be back. But since I know I'm not wrong, thanks for the prison sentence. And that's the end of Micaiah. Make a movie about that. See how many people want to watch it. See, that's Bible. Yeah, but that doesn't sound nice for me. Exactly. That's why people don't like that. That's why people don't gravitate to that. Now, got a question for you, if that sounds terrible. Where's Micaiah today? So the end of the story is good. I don't know what street he lives on, but I guarantee you this. The man is legend. He's legend. When I get to heaven, he's one of the first people I'm going to stop by and get their autograph from. I mean it. The guy is a hero of mine. See why most people don't want to be Baptist? See why most people don't want to be Bible-believe? Why? Because truth doesn't get you popularity, man. Truth isn't going to make people warm and fuzzy. But I want you to understand something. There is a cost to both compromise and convictions. Both of them cost. Let's look first at the cost of a compromiser. Let's go back to Second Chronicles 18 and verse 1. Now Jehoshaphat had riches and honor and abundance. The guy was doing good. He was following God. He was making real good changes and progress. And then the end of verse 1, it's like, what in the world? And he joined affinity with Ahab, 
And after certain years, after he joined affinity with Ahab, he went down to Ahab to Samaria. That's always the direction you go when you compromise. You go down. And notice who changes. Notice who gets who to change. Chapter 18, verse 2 and 3. And after certain years, he went down to Ahab at Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen for him in abundance. So he's giving him a nice present. And for the people that had he had with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth Gilead. And Ahab and king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Wilt thou go with me to Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as thou art, and my people as thy people, and we will be with thee in the war. So who is it that suggests they go do something? It's Ahab. And it's always the man of God or the one that's more right that has to change where they are to make the compromise work. I'll talk about joining affinity with him in just a minute. But now, the third thing I want you to see about compromise is not only do you go down, and not only does it require you to change, but notice, there's always a good motive. Did you know that Ramoth Gilead used to be in the land of Israel? Ramoth Gilead used to be part of the old Israel. You know what I think was going on here? I think Jehoshaphat said, well, I think in, I think in Jehoshaphat's heart of hearts, he wanted all of Israel to be restored like it used to be. That's what I think. I think Jehoshaphat knew that this split of the kingdom was terrible. It was awful. It shouldn't have happened. And man, I want to see Ramoth Gilead and all the rest of Israel back like it unified. I want to see unity. And everyone screams for unity. We got to have unity. Listen, unity with compromise isn't worth it. But I can see Jehoshaphat, and this is just my imagination, but I can see him saying, well, Ramoth Gilead, that's a good thing. And if Ahab wants to help get Ramoth Gilead back, that's a good thing. Let me tell you something. It's never right to do wrong to do right. And being with Ahab is wrong. Being with Ahab. Now, you know what it means when it says joined affinity with Ahab, verse 1? It means marriage. Do you know who married who? Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. You ever read about Athaliah? Next to Jezebel, she was the next worst queen you ever hear about in the Bible. Athaliah was so bad, they just slaughtered her out there inside, outside the temple one day. She was evil to the core like her mom. And I can just see where Jehoshaphat's saying, well, I want to join up with Ahab because if we could just learn to work together, we could reunite, and it would be just a wonderful dream of mine to see everybody reunited. But not if Ahab and Jezebel are worshiping Baal. That's not worth the united. That's not worth the unity. They're still Baal worshipers. They haven't changed anything. They haven't repented anything. So then notice also verse 12. Notice it involves pressure. And the messenger that went to get Micaiah said, Behold, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one assent. Let thy word, therefore, I pray thee, be like one of theirs. Don't rock the boat. There's pressure. When there's compromise, there's pressure. And you can just see Jehoshaphat saying, I don't, man, it just seems like a little rigged here. And there's pressure. And there, you know what I love about serving the Lord? When it's right, it's usually just a simple, straightforward, this is the way we got to go. I'm not saying it's easy. But it's a simple, it's clear, man, it's clear. That's the right way. When you're not serving the Lord, it's all fuzzy and, you, and it's all these compromise, and, 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 and it's complicated. But here's the sad part. Compromises always ends up losing. You end up losing. Chapter 19, verse 1, And Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his house in peace to Jerusalem. And here's what happened. Ahab got smoked. Ahab died. Some guy took a bow and arrow, some Syrian, and just said, whoa, no idea what to do with this thing. So he just, and he just let the thing fly. And the arrow hit Ahab, smoked him right in the chariot. And Ahab is, and he's just trying to stay up. And the blood's just dripping down and starting to pour and, and fill up the chariot. And Ahab said, take me home, take me home. And finally, Ahab makes it home, and they park the chariot right there at Naboth's vineyard. And they start to wash out the chariot, and the blood washes out onto the ground, and the dogs lick the blood, just like God prophesied it would happen. 
So after all that, Jehoshaphat goes home. That didn't work out so well. Huh, wonder what ever happened to that Micaiah guy. Wonder how he's doing. Chapter 19, verse 1. Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned to his house in peace, to Jerusalem. And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Shouldest thou help the ungodly and love them that hate the Lord? Therefore is wrath upon thee from before the Lord. Now, he was good, and there were good things found in him. But God was not going to let him go with this situation and what he had done. Joining affinity with Ahab meant that he allowed his son to marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. That means you're going to have grandkids connected to Athaliah and Jezebel. Compromise costs you. Compromise, once entered into, becomes a way of life. Look at chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 35. <clears throat> Jehoshaphat never seems to quite learn his lesson. The Bible says after Ahab died, he joined up with Ahab's son and kept on doing stupid things. Ahaziah. In verse 35, and after this did Jehoshaphat king of Judah join himself with Ahaziah king of Israel, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion Geber. Then Eleazar, the son of Dodava, and Merisha prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works. And sure enough, the ships were broken, that they were not able to go to Tarshish. So he lost all his revenue and his gold ships. Once you start to compromise, it just it, it becomes a way of life. I mean, how many people want to want to fight against their own son-in-law or daughter-in-law and their grandchildren or half and half like we preached about last week. See, compromise just leads to more compromise and you're trapped. Now, in the beginning, it looks like it's the right way. But the cost of compromise ends up being grandchildren. And you go down in history being the guy that really had great potential, but you sure messed up. And there's New Testament scriptures to go along with this like in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. It says, and you've heard this before, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Don't get yoked up with people who aren't right with God. Don't do it. It's wrong. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 11, Ephesians 5 and verse number 11 says this, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Jehoshaphat should have been preaching to Ahab. When Micaiah stood up and said, you're wrong, Jehoshaphat should have said, you know what, Ahab, that preacher's right. You are wrong. You and your wife are worshiping Baal. Why didn't he? The only thing I can think of is he's already married to them, and he didn't want to. Second John, Second John tells us in verse number 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. What doctrine? Well, the doctrine of Christ. If you don't recognize Christ as the Son of God, you don't have the Father. That is Antichrist. And there is much Antichrist going on in our world today. There are other Jesuses and other Gospels and other Christs out there. And we ought not welcome it into our home or bid it Godspeed. We ought not do that. That is very wrong. And once you've started into the compromise, it's going to start costing you. But if you'll get out of the compromise, it will be good for you and especially your posterity. And I guarantee you, it is worth it. 
the cost of compromise doesn't seem to be as, as expensive as the cost of convictions, but the truth is, it really is. It's way more expensive. On the other hand, there's the cost of convictions, which, which up front seems to be a lot more costly. But years later, you realize it was worth it. See, Micaiah today, probably, if, he, if we could interview him, he would say, man, the, the bread of affliction and the water of affliction, it, it tastes terrible. Sitting in prison and eating the, what, what's the bread of affliction? I don't know what the bread of affliction is, but I'm sure it's not fresh out of the oven. I'm sure it's moldy. I'm sure it's probably leftovers, might have even been chewed on by rats. I'm sure the water is nasty. Whatever the bread of affliction and the water of affliction is, it's terrible. And sitting in prison waiting for a dead guy to show up ain't fun either because you know he ain't coming. It's lousy. But you know where Micaiah is today? He's not eating the bread of affliction. He's not eating the water of affliction. He, he's, he's enjoying his reward today. It really wasn't that costly after all. Now, at the time it was. And remember what we read, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So how much persecution are you suffering? Who's bad at you today? I'm going to tell you something. If Ahab hates you, you're in good company. If Ahab hates you, you're in good company. If the compromisers and the new evangelical crowd don't listen to you and ignore you and just go, that's, you, that, that's probably a good sign. I'm not saying I can say this across the board, but I hear, I've, I've just decided that the nut is probably the right one. I live in a world where the nut is probably the right guy or gal. What do you mean by that? If the media tells you he's crazy, he's probably correct. You know what they're saying? Get off on the uh, political world for a minute. You know what people are saying now? This is actually coming out now. Now that vaccines have proven to be not very effective and actually very unhealthy. And oh, by the way, why are athletes just dropping over? Why are 45-year-olds just keeling over? Don't know. Can't imagine. Don't have a clue. I have no idea what it is, but we know what it's not. They're actually there's a group out there now that are blaming the anti-vaxxers for not being more vocal and warning them. It's your fault because you guys knew the truth and you didn't tell us. Well, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, years ago, I was told that Ron Paul was a crazy nut. Years ago, a lot of people were convinced that Ron Paul was a nut. I saw something this week. It was a picture of Ron Paul, and it said, if I told you so was a person. Ron Paul was a freedom-loving constitutionalist, and I'll take his son over a lot of other politicians' sons any day of the week. But he's the crazy one. Listen, if the media says he's the crazy one, he's probably the right one. That's why they're telling you he's crazy. In South Dakota, the one they're saying is crazy, probably the right one. Micaiah's nuts. No, Micaiah's telling you the truth. It's just that nobody wants to hear the truth. The cost of convictions will make you look like the nut. There goes the crazy guy. Whoopee. Crazy guy's in heaven right now. He's not eating the bread of affliction, and he's not drinking the water of affliction, and it's not prison. Oh, I forgot to ask you this question. Guess where Ahab is right now? In Revelation chapter 1, John said, I am your fellow companion in tribulation. It's easier to compromise than to take a stand for the word of God. Young people, you live in this world. Some of you, you go to a public school. You have to take a stand for the word of God. You can't just tell them, well, I just decided I'm going to do this differently. No, you tell them why. You tell them because I believe God wants me to do this or act this way or be this. That's what I believe God wants me to do, if that's true. Now, if it's because pastor told you or Mrs. Pastor told you, I hope you'll stop doing it for Mr. Pastor and Ms. Mrs. Pastor. That ain't right. But if you've got real convictions, you need to say, no, this is what God wants. Yeah, but they make fun of me. I know. 
I know. I know. But 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, it'll be worth it. God requires Bible-believing people to stand. Look at all these verses that talk about that. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We live in a world where everybody who does right, is, try, is they try their best to make them look like a freak and a stupid idiot. Do it anyway. Do what's right anyway. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable. Daniel, we're going to throw you in the lion's den if you, if you worship your God. What did Daniel do? Going to pray. Throw me in the lion's den. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. (laughs) Again, I'm thinking about Micaiah. Oh, sure, yeah, go. Go ahead and knock him dead, king. (laughs) And he starts to turn around. Hold it! You're lying. You're right, I'm lying. But you don't want to hear the truth. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand. You know that song, you got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything? Man, stand for something. And if you're going to stand for something, make sure it's something we're standing for. Look, I really don't think hockey is a huge deal in the world. But some hockey player from Russia, I think, and unfortunately Russian Orthodox have more convictions about homosexuality than Americans do. And yet we're told the Russians are the bad guys. Sean Hannity is always saying, what do you want to be like a Muslims? They're always executing the homosexuals. Hey, you know what? The Bible actually says that. Don't let somebody scare you. Well, you sound like a Muslim. Look, just because a Muslim got a few things right doesn't mean I'm a Muslim. I just don't know what the Bible says. And some hockey player last week said, I know I know the team's supposed to wear rainbow colors, but I ain't doing it. I'm not wearing rainbow colored jersey. Not doing it. Why? Because my Russian Orthodox religion tells me not to. Too bad we can't have a Christian saying that. My Russian Orthodox... And so, well, you are a terrible person. And he's from Russia. No wonder. A few days later, his jersey sold out. I believe there's a lot more people in this country of ours that want somebody to stand. This morning, someone left the church after church, and they said, truth, because we talked about, we preached the truth and mercy. Truth is why I started coming here. And first, excuse me, Second Timothy chapter one and verse one says, excuse me, Second Timothy one verse thirteen says, "Hold fast the form of sound words." Did you notice again the emphasis on the Bible? Hold fast the form of sound words which hast, thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Hold fast and stand strong. Look at chapter 4, where we already were, verse 2. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. I've had the unique situation the last few days to communicate with a certain politician in our state, and I keep just sending them Bible verses and encouraging them to do right, but also reminding them them of what the Bible says. Preach the word. I don't have anything smart to say, but God does. Verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They'll want something else. Don't compromise when they do that. And then Jude 3. Jude 3. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was need for, for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
the Bible's telling us we should earnestly contend for the faith. Not earnestly contend for just political issues or earnestly contend for whatever it might be, you know, squabbles between neighbors, but earnestly contend for the faith. So here's the cost of convictions. Here's the cost of doing the right thing. Back there in Second Chronicles 18, here's the cost, verse 7. You're not going to be popular. There is one guy, but I hate him. And probably when he said that, the 400 went, <laughs> yeah, we hate him too. If you're going to have convictions about God, expect to be unpopular. Verse 23, Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, came near and smote Micaiah upon the cheek and said, which way with the spirit of the Lord for me to speak unto thee? Expect to be misrepresented. Micaiah spoke for God, but he didn't claim some special power. He was just telling, look, I see a vision, and the vision says this is what happened, but that doesn't mean I know all things. But expect to be misrepresented and for people to put words in your mouth and to say that you said this when you didn't say it and to get punched for it too. Expect to be unpopular. Expect to be misrepresented. One of the tricks of Satan and one of the tricks of the liberals of our day is to take whatever you say and twist it. That's just going to happen. Happened to Jesus. They did it to him even. And then also expect to be persecuted. You're going to get thrown in prison. You're going to get punched in the face. You're going to end up drinking afflicted water and afflicted bread. But all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You won't be popular. But Micaiah's confidence in the word of God was the secret to why he could stand. When Ahab said, take him back, stick him in prison, and feed him junk until I return. And Micaiah was so confident in verse 27, he said, return. You're not returning. Unless, unless what I just said is not the word of God, you're not returning. Listen up, everybody. That's the word of God. Might get me in, I might get thrown in prison and I might die in prison, but I'm telling you right now, what I just said to you is the truth. The secret to standing is knowing that you're right. I love what someone said. I mentioned him earlier, Ken Hovind. He said about debating with evolutionists. He said, they are way smarter than I am. But I know I have the Bible. And I know I, I, have, I have what's the truth. And I'm going to tell you right now, there's pastors way nicer than I am, way smarter than I am, way nicer, better personalities than I am, way handsomer than I am. But if I have the truth, I can be confident. There's no guarantee that Micaiah ever got out of that prison. There is no guarantee that he ever got released from that prison. There's nothing in the Bible that says, and Micaiah was released and they made him second in charge of all the land. Doesn't say that. You know what that reminds me? Reminds me of two other places and we'll be done. One is Hebrews 11 and the other is Psalm 15. Hebrews 11 and Psalm 15. Hebrews chapter 11 says, verse 6, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. Verse 16 says, They desire a better country, a heavenly country. Yeah, I know what I'm going to say might cost me. What I'm going to say is not going to make me popular, but I'm still going to say it knowing that even if I lose here, I gain heaven and a mansion in heaven. Just got my property taxes for this year. Higher than it's ever been. Yours is too. I told you several years ago, we're all just renting. Even if you pay off your mortgage, you still have to pay rent to the government. You don't get to stay where you, get, where you live. That's why I love that song. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And you can let the 
millionaires that live in Custer County intimidate you? And there are. They are, they are here. You can let them intimidate you with their dollars and that they have in the bank. The, they have bigger numbers in the bank than I have. But you know what? This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. It's okay. I might look like a nut right now, but a million years from now, you know, I'll be okay. I'll be looking good. I'm hoping they're going to set me up right next to Micaiah's house. And then look at verse 36 of Hebrews 11. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, of moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. That's how they died. And so I'm just real, real suspicious, and I want to warn you about Christians today that are standing in front of crowds and being cheered and nominated and giving all these awards. Hold on a second. Where is that? Look, I'm not saying you can't honor people and, and recognize people, but the truth is, the truth is, the Micaiahs of this world never, ever got that, and they didn't do it for it. And all I can ask is, what if it resulted in you looking like a loser? Would you still do it? Would you still obey God if you're going to look like a loser instead of a winner? Micaiah did. Everybody on planet Earth thought that Micaiah died a loser. He didn't. There's one record that makes that so. And this record says Ahab died the loser. And Jehoshaphat died the compromiser whose own children and grandchildren ended up in Ahab's lineage. And so then lastly, Psalm 15. Psalm 15. The Lord, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backeth bieth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, not condemned, but contemned. They despise vile people. But he honoreth them. God honoreth them that feareth the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That's who's going to dwell in the holy hill. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. A politician thinks about the next election. A statesman thinks about the next generation. A politician says, I got to compromise, otherwise I'm not going to be able to win this popular vote. The statesman says, I'm going to do what's right even if I lose the vote. He that sweareth to his own hurt. Listen to me. The Republicans are politicians. It's all about making deals and compromising to stay in. Look, the truth is, and it's true for South Dakota as it is for the rest of our country, today's average Republican is more liberal than your regular Democrat was in the 60s. And can I tell you that today's average preacher and Christian is more liberal than the unsaved religious Catholic or Lutheran 30 years ago. And it's because people compromise. Now there's a cost to convictions, but there's a cost to compromising. You decide which one you want to pay. Micaiah decided, fine, throw him in prison. I'm still going to tell you the truth because I know who wins in the end. Still worth it. 
Yeah, I know. I know we're not going to be popular, but you know what? That was the whole thing with Judas and Jesus. You, you're throwing it all away. That's okay. Yeah, I know I'm going to the cross. It's okay. You're throwing it we, we can have the kingdom right now. No, that's not the plan. It's not how it's supposed to work. You want to win, you lose. That's the message of Jesus. You want to save your life, you lose it. You want to win, look like a loser. And you'll come out a winner. That's Micaiah. I love the guy. I love him because he had no reminiscence. There was no honor for him. Often when I talk about Joseph and Mary, I try to remind people, they never had a halo around their head. No, no one ever stopped and said, hey, could we take your picture and paint? You are so wonderful. And no, no, Joseph and Mary probably died poor. What did God do for Joseph? Nothing on this earth that I know of. And so many of our heroes of the faith did not die looking like great winners with rich and oh, by the way, that's the way America founded, who more than self their country loved. The average politician is in it for themselves. What will I get out of it? How will I look when this thing's done? It's amazing. Have you ever noticed how many politicians, when they start into office, they, they have an average size bank account. When they get out of office, it's like... Watch that. Jay Sekulow was a great defender of the faith. They've got millions and millions of dollars. You think it's all about defending something? It's a business. It's a moneymaker. They just slap on that Christian label to make all of us act like, oh, they're doing something good. And the average preacher and TV preacher and, and mega church preacher the same way. It's a business. Just keep rubbing people the right way and keep telling them, make these iron horns and tell them, God's going to use you. Somebody asked John Hagee where the four blood moons are now. I think you can buy that book at half off. The cost of convictions is expensive, but a thousand years from now, you won't even remember what it was like. You'll be so glad you spent the cost. Stand for what's right. Know God. Know his word. And don't compromise. It isn't worth it. The devil wants us to. Don't do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for my